Digital Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told and you are among friends. Now, coming up in hour two, Benjamin Baruch will be here to discuss a prophecy in the book of Jeremiah that appears to be describing America and the deep state. We'll discuss Mystery Babylon when Benjamin drops by in one hour. Before we get rolling here, I want to give a quick shout out to two of my fine Patreon supporters, Kirk Shamel and Denny Bladell, who are in the Star Chamber tier. Kirk and Denny, thank you both. Uh, your continued support, especially during these difficult times, is so greatly appreciated. I am so thankful and honored and humbled uh, by your support. It really means so much. Kirk and Denny, thank you again. Uh, I also want to welcome a new Patreon supporter in the Truth Seeker tier, Don Thomas of DeKalb, Illinois. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, DeKalb. I'm going to send you, uh, uh, Don, a Strange Planet mug from my Strange Planet shop. And if you'd like to become an official donor, please visit patreon.com slash strangeplanet, patreon.com slash strangeplanet, and pick the donor tier that's right for you, and thank you in advance. Now, some economists are saying forget recession. We are already in the midst of a great depression. We're about to find out what my guest in hour one has to say about that. If we're in a depression, how long will it last? Will it be like the Great Depression of 29, which lasted for 10 years? How do we recover? Will we recover? Uh, What kind of recovery will it be? What needs to be done in order to ensure a fast recovery? Will the world ever be the same? Joseph E. Meyer is president of Meyer and Associates, Mayor and Associates, my apologies, and uh, is editor of the macroeconomic and financial newsletter Straight Money Analysis. Joe began his investing career in 1966 as a public investor and has been part of the equity markets for over 50 years. Mr. Mayor has appeared on Coast to Coast AM, ABC, NBC, and CBS News and has been quoted in Foreign Policy Magazine and Forbes. Mr. Mayor is also a securities law expert, witness and arbitrator, mediator with the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, FNRA. FINRA is the largest independent regulator of securities firms doing business in the United States. Joseph Mayer, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Good evening, Richard. Thank you for having me as a guest this evening. It's a pleasure to visit with you and your listening audience. Thank you, Richard. My pleasure. Uh, You're down in Florida, I believe? Yes, I am. Things are starting to open up down there? How would you... Very slowly, but we are reopening, thank God. Yes. So... Uh, right out of the chute, let me ask you, are you using the R word or are you prepared to use the D word, recession or depression? What are we looking at here? 
Well, I think at this point, there's no doubt we're in recession. I think if we get a second wave of COVID-19 during the summer or in the early fall months, we could enter a pretty nasty and prolonged depression, yes. Is it even possible to forecast something like this at this point because there are so many unknown quantities uh, about the coronavirus? Can you forecast Well, we have to use history as a guide. As you know, two of the worst recessions we've had since the end of World War II were 1973, 4, 81, 82. They both lasted about 16 months. But on average, since World War II, all the recessions have averaged only about nine months. But I do believe we're in the early stages of a very pronounced recession at a last at a minimum of a year, Richard. All right. So it seems to me that you know this is a little different than than other recessions because yes, it is. I, I might be mistaken, but there 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 at least with the United States economy, yes, there was a tremendous debt, but structurally the economy was very healthy. And and more or less up here in Canada, too. So it's almost like we be, we were placed in a self-induced coma. Um, so is it is it different in that sense or like when we let's say the coronavirus, the, the, the lockdown ends in two months and let's say the second wave is mild. Yes. Will this will this cause has this caused structural damage? So that the self-induced coma patient won't just simply wake up on cue, that it'll be a prolonged recovery. Well, I think to answer your question, we got to touch upon two elements. Number one is the tremendous buildup of debt through the economy and all sectors of it. And secondly, the liquidity and the solvency of the people who are participating in it. Okay, so... Are you referring specifically to the debt that's been accumulated since the lockdown? In other words, all of this money that's been pumped into the system, checks being written, wage subsidies and these sorts of things? Yes, I am. Okay, so let's address that. Is it going to be possible, of course, after the 2008 crisis, we had nearly a trillion dollars that the Fed through quantitative easing, pumped into the system. Yes. Would that have any effect at this point? Well, I think when you take a look at the degree of indebtedness and you take a look at the devastation this uh, lockdown has done in such a short period of time, we've got small businesses attempting to reopen out of fighting to pay their bills. This is a much different time, Richard. No, No two ways about it. Right. So let's assume that the second wave, if it comes, is manageable and that we are prepared to reopen, let's say, sometime later this summer. Okay. And, of course, you know, businesses will have protocols. They'll try to mitigate risk so that there isn't a second wave. But how do you see a recovery? People talk about, I think they use the term, a geometric shock. So, for example, they talk about a U-curve. We have kind of a collapse and then a U-shaped recovery, or we have a very a, a swift recovery, so more of a V-shape. Uh, so, for example, in 2008, the United States, after the, the banking crisis, 
in the U.S., you had kind of a U-shaped recovery. Yeah, Here in we Canada, we, we, we didn't have a banking crisis in Canada. We had more of a V-shape. And then you look at poor Greece, which has had kind of an L-shaped recovery uh, yeah. since 2008. So which of those, those three do you see uh, as kind of the pattern for the recovery coming out of this? Well, I think what we're talking about is very unique from a financial standpoint. And even though I'm optimistic in the long term that we will recover and turn the corner, I'm not convinced that we do it as quickly as a lot of people would want to believe. So I'm going on the premise so I know differently that the recovery will be L-shaped, Richard. That's what I believe at this point will take place. An L shape, right? And there'll be—will there be sectors of the economy that simply will never recover? So, let's say, for example, uh, the cruise industry—is that ever coming back? Well, I think it's highly questionable at this point. I think you could also throw in the airlines as well. I think we're going to have some bankruptcy filings by some of the major carriers. I just don't think they have enough staying power to ride this through. I really don't. So a lot of the smaller regional airlines yes. not coming back. So they'll be, as as is always the case then, uh, the, the, the bigger carriers or the bigger institutions will swallow up the little ones. Is that what you see happening? They will pick up additional market share. That's what they always do. We'll be no different this time. What about hotels, restaurants? Another tough industry. I think we'll see bankruptcy filings in that sector of the economy as well. I don't think travel's going to come back anywhere near as quickly as a lot of people would want to believe. I truly don't. I think a lot of jobs that have been lost through this pandemic, quite honestly, Richard, are never coming back. That's the are there reality other, I think a right. lot of people at this point are unable to face. I truly do. Um, talk to me about some other sectors of the economy that you think will be severely impacted. Well, I think the auto industry will be severely impacted. I don't think there'll be a market for these cars the way there were prior. I think you got a lot of people that are going to be put out and not rehired and furloughed that are going to have to go into a completely different vocation. They're going to have to have training and they're going to have to have schooling. And it's going to be a very slow process to make a place for them in the new economy that's going to come out of this. So people talk about the new normal and the new economy. Uh, and, and some have suggested that, that there's that old saying, uh, Milton Friedman said that uh, real change only comes about through a crisis, whether it's either real or imagined. Very and true. we'll assume. We'll assume that this is a real crisis, although there may be aspects of it that have been uh, manipulated for certain groups in advantages. Uh, but that some have suggested that this was or is being used, this crisis is being used um, to transition into a new economy. Yeah. Uh, so for so 
what is this new economy we hear we're hearing about? We hear about artificial intelligence and robotics uh, and and moving completely out of the industrial age into a new phase. You what is the new economy? The components. You did a very good job. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. So robotics, artificial yes. intelligence. Automation. So that, that is going to be even – well, was that going to happen even without the coronavirus or has that – I think it that, was. Right. But I think the timing of it has been moved up significantly because of COVID-19. That's going to cause a huge disruption. Yes, so, for example, uh, if we're talking about self-driving vehicles – Something like one in every five jobs, I think, in the United States is dependent on truck drivers. Yes. So why are we rushing headlong into automation, robotics, uh, given that the, the economy has, has been dealt a very, very serious blow? Wouldn't it be better to put the brakes on automation and robotics and get you people back to work? So. I think the reason is simply the global economy is shrinking, the world is becoming smaller, and we simply don't have the need for the capacity that we once did. I think you've got to put in perspective these unprecedented times, and financially and economically, we're simply in uncharted waters, Richard. Hmm. So, truck drivers... Uh, as I say, one in five jobs, that's 20%. We're already looking at what's the, what's the official unemployment right now in the United States? It's, it's, it's almost seven, but I don't believe it for a minute. I think it's over 30%. Over 30%. Yes. My word. At the height and, of the and, Great Depression, 1933, we had unemployment 24.7%. I think we're not counting a lot of people who who are now dropped out of the workforce and no longer are being considered unemployed. But as you know, we recently had 36 million people file for unemployment. That's almost 20% of the eligible workforce in America. Do you know that? That's absolutely uh, frightening, Staggering. quite frankly. Yes. So... Even with a recovery, and you mentioned again that this would be an L-shaped recovery. I think so. Think so. how long, how long it took Greece, uh, and Greece has well hadn't even turned the corner, and then they were dealt this blow. Yes. Uh, so, when we when we complete our recovery, are we ever going back to the kind of near full employment that we had uh, before coronavirus? No, I don't think we'll ever have full employment again. It's one man's opinion, but that's what I think, Richard. So this is perhaps why people, even before the coronavirus, before the lockdown, uh, we had a, a Democratic candidate, um, Andrew Yang, talking about the need for uh, a guaranteed income. Yes, that's now obviously going to be talked about a lot more. What what are your what are your thoughts on a guaranteed income? Well, I think we continue to see poverty as being a major problem in the U.S. As you know, we've got an increase in homelessness all around the country. 
I think due to coronavirus, we could see a 40% increase in the homelessness in America in the next year. And I just think economically and financially, this is a different time, and we're living in a much different world. I think that's why you need a game plan to survive the changes that are ahead of us, and they're going to be great, and they're going to be many. Life is Would not that... going to go back to the way it was before. I don't think it's possible. That's, again, one man's opinion, but I don't think it's likely, Richard. So then your thoughts on a guaranteed uh, income. Are you in favor? Well, I think at this point, when you look at what's ahead of us and you look at what's been behind us, I don't think we have much of a choice. How would we pay for that? Good question. Well, we got to tax the rich and make them pay for it. Tax the rich. You know, the recent uh, tax cuts that went in force over a year ago. Yes. The 1%, the richest 1% of all Americans benefited by getting 67% of the benefits of the tax cut. So the tax cut didn't really help middle class America. It didn't help the working class American. It helped the extremely wealthy. Well, no one, one could argue that that's that, that's a fact and that's reality. Well, the, but the largest the largest income gains were among uh, blue collars. Uh, I've read anyway that uh, they were making uh, greater gains than they had than they had in decades. Is that not true? Well, when you look at wages adjusted for inflation prior to the period you're speaking of, wages adjusted for inflation have been flat since 1965. Right, right. But up until recently, um, yes. I, I'm just I'm just saying that as a result of that tax cut, yes, of course the rich are always, uh, you know, seem to be doing better. But uh, did that not pay off in terms of? job creation that you know these corporations these businesses that received these tax cuts and they also lowered the the uh, the business tax that resulted in large in large uh job gains by and large so i'm just wondering uh if if we if we ratchet up the taxes on corporations again uh, won't that even even have a greater negative impact on things like job creation? Well, I don't think there's any doubt that's exactly what would happen. We've got to give corporate America an incentive to put people back to work. There's no way around it. This unemployment is just ridiculous. Right, right. But so I then, think my... when you talk about the number of businesses that are going to reopen, I think there's an awful lot of them that are not even going to reopen. Right. Well, then that that comes around to the question. I'll I'll save this for after the break. But again, it's uh, the old is the cure worse than the disease? We'll discuss that on the other side. Okay. Joseph Mayer, my guest from well, the newsletter is Straight Money Analysis, and we'll tell you how to subscribe to that as well. Back with more of the Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. The truth is not out there. It's right here. 
The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Welcome back. Joseph Mayer is my guest, and we are talking about uh, the economy in the age of coronavirus. Joseph is president of Mayer and Associates, editor of the macroeconomic financial newsletter, Straight Money Analysis. Uh, Before we proceed further, Joseph, how do we subscribe to Straight Money Analysis? Go to the straightmoneyanalysis.com website, click on Newsletter. There's a full sample issue of the newsletter, Richard, on the website. You can download and read. One-year subscription, two fifty nine ninety five. Six-month subscription, one forty nine ninety five. I write in every issue quarterly about the stock and bond market, both gold and silver, oil and natural gas, and I have a very lengthy commentary in every issue on Fed monetary policy. I write about the things you need to know, why you need to know them, and what you can and should be doing about them. That's what makes this newsletter very unique. I'm writing the newsletter now, Richard, 11 years. Straightmoneyanalysis.com, and then go to newsletter. All right. Uh, Before the break, I was asking about that old saw, the cure being worse than the disease, and I've been saying this for some time. I was actually writing members of my... Uh, provincial government here at the end of March, uh, suggesting that alongside getting advice from public health officials, they needed to form an economic task force to figure out what the exit strategy strategy is, how they can open up uh, businesses very quickly. Now, of course, we're into almost June. And uh, so... At this point, I just feel that the cure really has been worse than the disease, not only the hit that the small business people have taken, uh, but also from a health perspective, um, you know, every I'm not sure what the figure is, but every uptick in unemployment uh, causes a surge in in suicides. Yes. Uh, so at, so would you would you say at this point that the cure has now become worse than the disease? Well, I think we've got to put this crisis in perspective. We've got three things going on here, Richard. You've got an ongoing health crisis. You've got an ongoing economic crisis and an ongoing deteriorating financial crisis. We have never faced a calamity of these three things at any time prior in history. That's what makes this period so unique and so very dangerous. That's why, as I've said many times, you've got to have a plan, a contingency plan, to deal with the uncertainties that I think inevitably are going to come out of this. You can't just sit back and think things are going to go back to the way they were before, because I'm telling you, I don't think that, that that's reality. I truly don't. Well, because now we have... It's, it's kind of a triple whammy, isn't it? Not yes. only do we have the typical uh, da- damage to the, the economy's supply side, you also have tremendous uh, damage the to the demand side. side. Demand may never come back to the way it was before. No one talks in terms of that. They all talk about bringing on line of supply. But I don't think people are going to be spending the way they were prior. I truly don't. I think this has shocked the psyche of a lot of people, and I think they're going to spend money very carefully and very prudently and only buy what's absolutely necessary. 
So aside from the the supply and the demand side, and that's that's bad enough. But then you have, what about the liquidity? What about the capital markets? Well, I think that's the wild card. That's why the Fed and the major central banks of the world are pumping trillions of dollars into the system. You've got six central banks in the world that are pumping money to try to keep the global economy from sinking into a depression. You got the U.S. Fed, the European Central Bank, the Bank of Japan, People's Bank of China, the German Bundesbank, and the Swiss National Bank. They're all providing unprecedented massive liquidity in unison to prevent this economy from a total collapse. That's what's actually going on. That's why you got to own gold and silver. U.S. equity market put in, I think, a once-in-a-lifetime top, which, as you know, took place in February of this year. But bull markets, Richard, they follow four phases. They're born on pessimism, they grow on skepticism, they mature on optimism, and then they die on euphoria. I think this bear market at best is only half over. I think we're going to see much lower prices as we get into the summer months and the fall. I think this market could go down a minimum another 10,000 points. Wow, 10,000. Yes. So so, uh, that old saying... I would look at for the bear market to reach before it's over. I think the first stop would be the 2007 high in the Dow, 14,100. And if we didn't stop the bear market there, we'd go down to the 2000 high in the Dow, 11,780. But I also have a long-time target in the S&P 500, 1565, Richard. How long is it going to take to bottom out, do you think? 18 months to two years. Wow. Was that old saying, when people get fearful, it's time to get greedy? Yes. So so the time to buy in the markets will be, if anyone has any any uh, liquidity to do so, the time to buy would be in 18 months to two years. Is that right? Pessimism is the best time to buy, and the time of maximum optimism is the best time to sell. Right. Except how do we, I mean, the rules have changed, though. I mean, you, you know, it used to say, you, you know, you buy Coca-Cola, you buy Southwest Airlines. I mean, these are things that Warren Buffett used to buy. Those things may not be around as hard as that is to imagine coming out of this. Very true. I think so you what, want to own five asset classes. You want to have some cash. You want to have some cryptocurrency. You want to have some gold and silver, and you want to own the precious metal mining shares. Those are the areas I think that'll do well, regardless of what takes place in the economy in these markets as we move forward. But I question as we move forward if the Fed and all these other central banks of the world can continue to pump this fiat currency into the system. So is this the end of the Bretton Woods system? I believe it is. 
could you just maybe spend a few moments talking about this sure. financial financial order that was created at the end of the Second World War known as the Bretton Woods Agreement? What it was and what what it means and, and, and what's next? Well, the British pound was a world reserve currency up until Bretton Woods in 1944 when the Allies decided that the U.S. dollar would be a world reserve currency. We were on the gold standard, as you know, from 1944 to 1971, 27 years, and we've now been off the gold standard 49. So our currency is backed by the general faith and credit standing of the United States government, even though we pretend to hold 8,300 tons of gold in Fort Knox. But interesting enough, China is, is, as you know, the largest gold producer, having surpassed South Africa many years ago. I believe they're holding in excess of 30,000 tons of gold. And at some point, they'll back the one by gold and have a world reserve currency. That's what I think is inevitable, and that's what I think is ahead of us. So... The new reserve currency of the world will be the yuan. I believe it'll be one of them unless we go on a gold standard as well, which I don't rule out at this point. I think it's a distinct possibility. But I also think we've got a global reset underway in all asset classes that are going to be pegged inevitably to the price of gold at some point. I think that's going on simultaneously with COVID-19 behind the scenes. What do you see uh, as the price of gold going, uh, let's say, the next 18 months, two years? How high could it go? It's it's around, uh, let me see, uh, 1700, 1700. Yeah, 1735. How high will it go? I think it can go to five, six thousand dollars an ounce. My word. And what about silver? Silver, I think, can go to 250 Very, very what is it? long-term undervalued. But 250 But I talk about gold, as you know, in the 1970s, it took nine years for gold to go from 35 to 850 which was a multiple of 24 times, 255. 255 an ounce times 24, you get 61.20. But gold, $35 an ounce, reached the price level of 850 through the 1970s. So if we take 255 times 24, we get 61.20, Richard. That's if this bull market is comparable to what we witnessed in the 1970s, but I think it's a much different time. I truly do. Oh, now, silver has industrial applications. In fact, it was it was projected that silver would go through the roof because of the production of uh, solar solar panels and so forth. Uh, but if the industrial capacity or the industrial production goes way way down. Uh, won't that take the price of silver with it? No, because I think as a monetary metal, it's still very, very undervalued and in scarce supply. Right. If you can't own 
physical f- uh, gold and silver. And my understanding is it's hard to get your hands on physical right silver these days. Yes. Uh, what about owning shares in gold and silver and other precious metal mining companies? Absolutely, but you want to own the highest quality market leadership companies in the sector. Always buy the quality, buy the leadership, Richard. You never can go wrong. All right, uh, Joseph, we'll take another time out. Come back. We'll also open up the phone lines, questions and comments. Hi, this is Jay Farner, CEO of Rocket Mortgage. Making the right financial decisions has never been more important. We can help guide you to those right decisions now when they matter most. Mortgage rates are near historic lows. So when you call 8338-ROCKET or visit us at rocketmortgage.com to start your refinance, you'll be well on your way to saving money every month. The rate today on our 30-year fixed rate mortgage is 3.375%, APR 3.59%. Right now could be a great time for you to take some positive financial steps forward with a cash-out refinance from Rocket Mortgage, which could give you the boost that you're looking for. In addition, we may be able to help you refinance with little or no out-of-pocket costs. At Rocket Mortgage, we're committed to every client, every time, no exceptions, no excuses, giving you the best mortgage experience. Call us today at 8338-ROCKET or go to rocketmortgage.com to learn more. Rates subject to change. Pay 1.875% fee to receive this discounted rate. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. I was nine when I lost my leg to bone cancer. I had a 50% chance to live. After chemotherapy treatments at my children's hospital and the amputation, I had beaten the odds. But would I ever be as active as I once was? Fast forward 20 years. I've competed in the Paralympics and now play on the U.S. amputee soccer team. Help kids live their dreams just like me. Put your money where the miracles are. Give to your Children's Miracle Network Hospital. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. We are here with Joseph E. Mayer, president of Mayer and Associates, editor of the macroeconomic and financial newsletter, Straight Money Analysis. And uh, Joseph, once again, how do people subscribe to Straight Money Analysis? Go to the straightmoneyanalysis.com website, Richard. Click on newsletter. Got a full issue of the newsletter they can download and read for free. One year subscription two fifty nine ninety five. Six month subscription one forty nine ninety five. All right. You were telling uh we were talking about precious metals. You yes. said gold could go fifty five hundred, six thousand an ounce, silver could go to two hundred and fifty uh dollars an ounce US. Let's talk a little bit about energy, oil and gas. Uh is yes. that ever coming back? Well, I think it'll eventually come back, but I think it'll be a very slow process. I think there's just too much oil in the world right now, and the demand for energy is down. But there's no question the world runs on oil, and that's not going to change any time too soon. I agree. I agree. How does a barrel? How does the price of a barrel of oil go into negative? numbers for a while there it was below zero how is that how is that possible well simply because of the supply demand factor and there's no more room in which to store oil 
So oil becomes a negative-valued asset class. There's 280 million barrels of oil on oil tankers that are sailing around the world looking for a place to deposit their oil. That's how much excess capacity we currently have, Richard. And that's with Saudi Arabia cutting production recently by a million barrels a day. They got into a war with Russia, and Russia's cut back oil production as well. So I think at some point the glut will be used up, but it's going to take a considerable time period to do that. Any projections on how long it would take the price of oil to get back up to, let's say, $50? Well, you know, if you go back and you study history on the price of oil, we've had the price of oil double six times within two years. So I think there's a possibility in the next two years we could see a doubling of oil prices. I think it's a possibility as the economy recovers, hopefully. What about the ripple effect uh, and into society? So, for example, if we have um, supply supply chain issues, uh, let's say with with uh, certain staples uh, like like meat, yes. uh, certain certain grocery items, uh, uh, coupled with massive unemployment. Uh, do you foresee, and I, this is maybe not your area of, of uh, your purview, but are you concerned about a complete societal collapse or breakdown, even civil war? Well, I think our lives have changed in four different ways. I think they've changed socially, politically, economically, and finally financially. And I think those changes are being felt now by the average American, and I think changes are forthcoming, and they're going to be very difficult to accept by by the masses, but I think it's inevitable. All right. But again, to my question, what about, do you, do you personally, are you concerned about a, a complete breakdown in, in society? Yes. Well, I think we're already seeing the early phases of that with the protests against these lockdowns in various states. I think that could definitely be a precursor to what will follow, absolutely. I think the population is very angry. I've said many times, I talk to my subscribers from all over the world, and I basically get three attitudes. I get either anger, apathy, or indifference, Richard. Hmm. What's the most dangerous of those three attitudes? Anger. Anger is even more dangerous than than uh, indifference? Yes. Because anger gets acted out on, and it gets acted out on when you least expect it. So what are you telling your, your subscribers? What what should they be doing right now? Well, I think you want to prepare for some tough times ahead, and I think it's got to be a plan that's workable and feasible and individual. But I think we're definitely going to see major changes ahead. The question is not if they'll take place, but how quickly. 
And I think you need a plan to be able to adapt to the eventualities that are forthcoming and I think are going to have to be part of the daily lives that we live as we move forward. So you need a game plan, and I outline what that game plan will be in the various issues of the newsletter I write. All right, we're going to step away for one final timeout. When we come back, maybe you can tease us a little bit on what uh, what that game plan might be, and uh, we'll also remind people how to get a subscription to Straight Money Analysis. Joseph Mayer, my guest, back with more on the Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Just a reminder, coming up at the top of the hour, Benjamin Baruch will be here to talk about Mystery Babylon. Right now, Joseph Mayer stays with us. The newsletter is Straight Money Analysis. One more time, Joseph, how do we subscribe? Go to the straightmoneyanalysis.com website, click on newsletter. One year subscription two fifty nine ninety five six month subscription one forty nine ninety five Richard. All right, so just tease us uh, some of the things that we should be doing to prepare for whatever this new economy is going to look like. Well, I think at a minimum you need six months living expenses put away because I think through the times that are ahead of us and the uncertainty that will come out of it, you're going to need six months living expenses. That's the first thing. Second thing, if you don't own gold and silver, now's the time to buy it. You want to buy your coin first, then your bullion, and then lastly and very importantly, the quality leadership precious metal mining shares. All right. Now, as to number one, well, and to number two, you've seen the statistics. What It's something like 40, 50, I don't know, maybe even 60% of Americans have basically two weeks uh, money put aside. That's it. How can they possibly get to six months? There's no time. No, there isn't. But, but again, I think when you talk about society and the poverty that's gripped this nation, you've got 40% of Americans that don't have $400 in the bank, Richard. Yeah, 40%. That's the figure. That's 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 frightening. So many of those people are going to be, what, out on the street? They're going to be joining the homeless on the sidewalks of America. That's where they're headed. Oh, dear. You can't count on your city and state government to bail it out. They're broke. They're looking for a bailout from the federal government. You got New York State looking for a bailout. They were bailed out, as you know, in 1975. Here we are 45 years later. They're broke again. What about the... Chicago's uh, another city that's busted. Yes, Chicago, L.A. Absolutely. They're looking for a federal bailout. How how much help do you think they're going to be able to give you if you're in trouble? I think very little. No. So, and this is really even, this is the best case scenario, right? That's assuming we, we start to open up in the next couple of months. What Absolutely. happens What happens if we stayed locked down till, I don't know, December, January of next year? Chaos will grip the country, that's for sure. Right. Uh, what about the Fed? Is, I mean... <laughs> Are we going to see a, a whole restructuring of 
of the present system? Could this be the end of the Federal Reserve? I think it could be the end of the banking system as we know it. I'll even go one step further. Mm. And what would that look like? Uh, I mean, without a Fed, without a central banking system, and we've talked a lot about the the evils of the federal banking or the uh, the central banking system. Yes. Um, I mean, do you think that could be one positive upside? This restructuring of the the banking system. I don't think anyone, honestly, Richard, has an answer to that question. You would think so, but it's not a certainty. That's for sure. All right. So, is there any good news that you can leave us with? Uh, here, Joseph, is there any upside um, to this as you see it coming out? I mean, you know, those of us that will uh, manage to land on our feet, uh, hopefully will become stronger and wiser. But what other, I don't know, silver lining do you see from all of this, if any? Well, I think the silver lining is we'll come back from this stronger than we were before. But I think inevitably we're going to pay a tremendous price in order to be able to do that. A lot of people are not going to be able to survive what I think is coming. But I do believe we're a very grateful nation, a God-fearing nation, and I think a nation that's very generous. And I think we will do what's ever necessary to take care of the people that fall through the cracks. I totally hope and believe that. Will the free market system survive? Are you still bullish on capitalism after this? I'm bullish on capitalism, but I think we've got to purge the system of all this excess debt. There's no way it could ever be repaid. We're paying currently, as you know, over a trillion dollars in interest on the U.S. national debt. This cannot continue. This is an ending coming rather than a fresh beginning. Is it possible that this, in part, this crisis, uh, was seized upon by certain groups who realized it was time to hit the pause and reset the button and, and as you say, flush the system of all of this debt. Exactly. Uh, so you think that, the, that they used this crisis as an excuse to do this? Well, I think it was a very convenient reason in which to go ahead and do the things that have been done, yes. And by keeping us locked in our homes, not entirely locked in our homes, but keeping us quarantined, uh, do you think that this is also being used to um, to roll back permanently certain civil liberties? And, and does that con- are you afraid of that? Well, that's exactly what it's done so far. I don't think anyone would question that. That's exactly what's happened. But I'm talking about... I do believe and hope it's only temporary, but I'm not so sure it is. Right, right. Have you ever... How did we mere republic? Let me share this with you. 1923. A one-ounce gold coin bought a whole city block in Frankfurt, Germany. Do you know that? One gold coin bought a city block in, in Frankfurt, well, that was, Germany in 1923, the height of the Weimar Republic. Right, right. That's when you needed a wheel. In Venezuela, a one-ounce 
silver eagle bought $250 worth of groceries. Their currency was worthless. My word. Do you think the United States, possibly Canada, is going to look like Venezuela before this is over? Let's hope not, Richard. <laughs> well, certainly we hope not, but um, is, that a, is that a genuine concern? Is that realistic? It's a very real concern, and I think it's realistic. We're in uncharted waters. No one knows with certainty, based on history, where this can inevitably go. We can use history as a yardstick, but it's by no means a certainty as to what it tells us is a probability. There's a lot that can consistently go wrong before we come out of this crisis, that's for sure. I don't like, quite honestly, what's going on with China. Their militaristic attitude has me very concerned. Forget the trade issues we have between the two countries. Honestly, I don't think our relationship with China due to COVID-19 will ever be the way it was before anyway. I don't. No, well, maybe maybe it never should have been normalized. Yes. Maybe they never should have been allowed into the World Trade Organization. We thought we could reform them by bringing them into the world community, but that cer- certainly didn't turn out to be true. Do you think there will be major retribution uh, towards China? And is this perhaps the end of globalism? I think it could very well be the end of globalism, and I think retribution is coming. I can't say in what form, but I think definitely we will see some form of retribution. I believe they had a obligation to notice the world of the outbreak of this virus, and they didn't do it. All right, uh, Joseph, it was uh, terrific meeting you. Uh, I want to thank you for spending the hour with us. Thank you, Richard. uh, Let's just remind people again, they can go to straightmoneyanalysis.com and click on newsletter, and uh, they can subscribe uh, to the newsletter. There's a sample there as well, so they can can read uh, an edition. Excellent. Joseph, thank you so much. Please be well, and uh, hopefully we'll talk again. Let's look forward to it. Thank you so much for having me, Richard. It was a pleasure. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you, Joseph Mayer. All right, Benjamin Baruch is next. We'll talk about Mystery Babylon, and uh, he will reveal the identity of Mystery Babylon mentioned in Chapters 17 and 18 in the Book of Revelation. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Jay Farner here, CEO of Rocket Mortgage. Making the right financial decisions has never been more important. When you turn to Rocket Mortgage, we can help guide you to those right decisions now when they matter most. Mortgage rates are near historic lows, so now is a great time to call 8338-ROCKET. And if you need some extra money, a cash-out refinance could give you that financial boost you're looking for. Call today at 8338-ROCKET or go to rocketmortgage.com to learn more. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. I want my own website, but I don't know where to start. Start at Pear. Pear offers hosting plans that are perfect for someone who's just starting out. But I'm not really tech savvy. Not to worry. Pear has WordPress hosting packages. What's WordPress? It's web software that even a beginner can use to create a beautiful website. So where do I start? Pear.com? Pear.com. 
As in, we make a perfect pair. Pair Network's web hosting. Tell your friends.